Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 61, Fear the Charity and Con Games. Recorded Thursday, April 16th of 2015, with your hosts, Grant, Peter, and Derek. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Derek. So we've got Derek Knutson on with us tonight. Derek, tell us why you're uh, internet famous and famous. why you're here with us. Um, people may know me from the Established Facts podcast. Any booters that are listening here may recognize me from Fear the Charity at Fear the Con. And I also am a tabletop role-playing uh, publisher as well. So tell us about the uh, game that you've published. Uh, it's called Universal Storytelling System. It's a rules light system designed for new players, but older players can find a lot of value in it as well. Um, it focuses more on the story and character development rather than combat. And uh, the mechanic is a standard playing card, so a standard deck of cards. Right, which is, has the advantage of not needing anything that you'd have to go to a hobby store to find. You can just right. dig in the desk drawer, pull out a deck of cards, and you're good to go. Yeah, or go to like a Walmart or a Kroger or something like that, and you're golden. So currently I am um, Indiegogoing my um, second, or I should say my revision for this, fixing a couple of, of important things. Uh, namely, one of those things was the uh, artist name, which I inadvertently messed up. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put a sticker on the cover to uh, fix her name, and it was it was bad news. So, um, Ugh. Yeah, but I'm also looking to uh, produce play mats and uh, mm -hmm. custom card decks as well. Nice. Yep. Very cool. All right, so listeners, let me tell you something about Derek. <laughs> if you go to Fear the Con, and of course you should, we'll be talking about that. But if you go to Fear the Con, you're going to get to know Derek because Derek does everything that the hosts don't do and does it amazingly well. All right. What don't they do? <laughs> well... They don't run Fear the Charity, for one. That's true. We'll talk about that in a bit. But also, do you want to plug the established facts real quick, since they are a part of the Fear the Boot network of shows that we sort of grew out of as well? Uh, yes, it's the Fear the Boot non-network network, um, <laughs> because we're not officially a network. So right. it's, it's you funny because share it's forums true. And That's all true. came from the same set of people. And, I know. Yeah. I know. Um, we talk about all things gaming. So we talk about video games, card games, board games, role-playing games, a whole host of stuff. We are coming up to, I think it's the, oh man, I think it's the 100th episode, I want to say, very shortly. Yeah, I think it's the 100th episode in July. So that's a major milestone. Uh, for a podcast. Wow. Uh, you can find out all about us at theestablishedfacts.com. Our running gag is that we plug everything. So Fair we enough. Can't, we can't make it five minutes without plugging something. Yeah, I've, I've listened to a few episodes. I admit The Established Facts is, is not on my normal rotation, but when I see an episode come up that seems interesting, I do try and give it a listen. And yeah, you guys, you have a great show. Thank you. Thank you. You should definitely listen to our Alignment series. That series has been like a highlight for us. Awesome. All right, Peter, do you have anything else that we need to plug before we get into our main topic here? No, I don't think I've got anything. It's been okay. kind of a mundane last couple of weeks. Yeah, well, if you're not in Fear the Con, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. One one other thing. Um, I'm also just, this just happened today. Um, I'm also taking over Fear of the uh, Fruit. Yes, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit here, but uh, let's do our scripture real quick, and then we'll get into the whole fear the con, fear the charity, fear the fruit thing in <laughs> great detail. Fear the scripture. Go ahead. <laughs> fear the everything. <laughs> yes. All right. Peter, do you want to take Ecclesiastes, or you want me to do that? Sure, I'll take it. This is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? 
Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And this is Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And uh, this is Matthew 18.20. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Okay. So, we need to talk about Fear the Con, Fear the Charity, and now Fear the Fruit. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had thought maybe we were going to talk about convention games here to spread out time, but we'll see if we get to that. Uh, (laughs) We've got a lot to talk about. So, Fear the Con! Yeah, that thing. Yeah, so, as of yesterday, when we're recording this, tax day for those of you here in the U.S., the con is officially a go, and Worldwide Wing Night, one of the stretch goals, is officially a go. That was important because Worldwide Wing Night is what originally started Fear the Con. So I'm very happy that they that we were able to make it to Wing Night as well. Yeah, I have not been going to Fear the Con very much. As much as I enjoy my membership in the booter community, I've only made it to one, and that was Fear the Con 5. Shame. I know. Well, listen, we'll talk about that, though, because you ran one of the games at Fear the Con 5 that I was in, and it was a blast, so we'll we'll talk about that. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You remember it now. No. Uh-huh. Actually, don't. Which Was it the... Uh, okay, we'll talk about it later. All right. Yeah. Moving on. Voldo. Oh, him. Oh. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Derek, do you want to give us some background on Fear the Con and why it's awesome? Uh, yes, absolutely. A little bit of backstory on this. Originally, the hosts were holding this annual, semi-annual, worldwide wing night. And that is where everybody would go to a bar or someplace where they served wings. And they would order wings with their friends, and they would shoot uh, pictures of themselves and send them to the podcast. Out of that, Dan would have to give a little bit more detail as to why this came about. They, The hosts were thinking, well, if we were able to get this silly quote-unquote holiday off, then maybe we can put together a convention. So the first convention, which was originally supposed to be a podcast convention, who I call uh, Fear the Con Zero, uh, was held in a bar. And uh, it was wings, it was games, it was a very small venue. I mean, it was literally one room. Mm-hmm. Out of that, the next year, they were like, hey, well, maybe we can actually make this into a thing. And so Fear the Con 1 and all the way up through 8 occurred. The first several were at a convention center, and then they moved to this current convention center uh, several years ago. Right. If you're just joining us, by the way, if this is your first episode of Saving the Game, first off, welcome. Hi, we're glad you're here. And second, we're talking about Fear the Con because... It's an important convention in a couple of ways. First, it's I think it's really probably the first convention to grow out of the RPG podcast genre and that community of gamers. I might be wrong about that. No, but I, I think, think you're that's, right. That's really kind of where it started. I think Second, it may be the only one at this point. Well, no. Um, Happy Jacks has a bit that they do. Uh, some of the others have had small events here and there. Um, TsunamiCon, for example. Prismatic Tsunami does that. A few others. Metagamers Anonymous. So really what you're telling me is that I need to listen to more RPG podcasts because my knowledge has gaps. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, probably. But we all should, really. Truth. But it's a gaming convention. I mean, in its purest sense, it's a gaming convention. So yes, there, it is. there is literally one vendor there. Everything else is games. It's board games. It's card games. It's RPGs. There aren't any video games. It's literally tabletop gaming. Yeah. It's just sit down and game for hours and hours. And more than that, and this is why it's so important to us. Beer? It's, well, okay, that's important to me. But <laughs> to us, <laughs> it's sitting down as a community, right? Fellowship is a big part of why we game and why we think gaming is important on this show. And it's an extraordinary opportunity for fellowship with people who are like us, Mm -hmm. right? We're all gamers, and we're all very different gamers by and large, but we all get to sit down and say, hey, we're all connected by something, really two somethings. We like gaming, and we all have some connection to the Fear the Boot community. 
And uh, it's very much like a family reunion at this point. Yeah. With the uh, the convention being this old and the booter community being this old, you get a lot of people who look forward to this all year because this is the only time they see friends that live in that other state that's out of driving or flying distance for you know them or their budget. Yeah. I know um, I see the Dixons from Canada at this oh, yeah. every year, but there's no way that I'm going to see them any other time out of the year. Right. I mean, when we go this year, Peter and I will actually meet in person for the first time. Yep. Looking forward so. to that. So when I hear the scream, that's when I know that you two have met. Yeah. Uh, when you see Peter trying to cover his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but But I think that. Also, it's not just Fear the Boot. It's also a good convention for people new to conventioning. Yes, um, and to gaming. New to gaming at a convention as well. Um, one of my friends uh, who's very introverted, she um, was very hesitant about joining games because she didn't know the people. But as soon as she sat down and played one game, she was set for the entire com- rest of the convention. Yeah. Uh, Peter and I wrote an article about this for Enroads Ministries. We'll link it in the show notes if you haven't seen it. But that's one of the things we specifically called out is Fear the Con is fantastic for new gamers, not just new convention goers, but I think new gamers in general. Yes. My wife went uh, with me to Fear the Con 5. She had maybe gamed once, maybe twice, and she ended up playing five of the six slots while six months pregnant. I mean, she just had a blast. So She has certainly taken to the whole gaming thing. Yeah, she really has. And part of that was Fear the Con, because she got to sit down and play lots of different things and try new things and figure out what worked for her. And what's great about Fear the Con is that connection to the community let her say, hey, I have never gamed before. Are any of your games good for me? And people said, yeah. Or, sure. Oh, you're pregnant? Yeah. Um, when you come to my game... We'll make sure to take breaks. Don't worry about it. You know, if you need to get up, stretch, not a problem. We'll make it work. So there's a real sense of let's help you enjoy the convention instead of we are here to game. Be in your seat when the slot starts or we're starting without you. The dice must roll. And that's one of the things that's really particularly nice about this convention and the community that attends it is that. You can come in off the street totally new to gaming and conventions, and by the time you leave, not only will you have a good understanding of what gaming is like, but you'll also have some new friends. Yeah, and it's also very important to note that this isn't a quote-unquote fear of the boot convention. Uh, They put it on. There are obviously some in-jokes that are involved in this, but for the most part, it is a convention for gaming, tabletop gaming. So don't be concerned if you don't listen to the podcast. Come anyways, especially since now it's free, which yeah. I think is crazy. Yeah. Um, so so definitely do come, book a hotel room. There's, I know there's a room sharing thread. If you don't know the, the forums, I'm sure someone can help you with that. And um, We'll post a link to that too, I'm sure. If you read our article that we wrote, there are links to the forums and different threads in there as well. So, yeah, it is a unique convention that was sort of organically grown, and but it's, it's a very important convention. And unfortunately, this is probably going to be the last one for at least a year, if not uh, more than that. Now, one of the other things that we really like about Fear the Con is that it's a very giving community of gamers who go to that. Derek, you, you want to talk about Fear the Charity? no idea. Um, yes, but I want to actually hook on to the giving community first. Several years ago, the host of the podcast came across a charity where you could buy like a farm animal for underprivileged people in uh, third world countries. Mm-hmm. So they were like, okay, you know what? We're going to throw this out to the community. Let's buy a uh, cow for them. By the time the campaign ended, they had like an entire farm to send overseas. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the quote from Dan, I believe, was something to the effect of, we went into this hoping to get a couple of chickens, but what we should have said is, here's the price for a herd of water buffalo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And that has been reflected year after year um, with Fear the Charity. Um, It's a um, charity that I started 
back in 2011 when Japan went through its apocalypse. I decided, you know what, that's gamer territory. Let me raise some money for it. And we did pretty well. It was very unstructured, very... There wasn't anything to it. I was just, you know, here's a hat. Can you please throw some bucks in? And we gathered like maybe 400 or $500. I was like, you know what? That's pretty cool. I wonder what happens if I actually organize this thing. So the next year we were sending kits overseas to troops overseas. And um, I think there was also another veteran type of charity involved there. So we collected money. I think it was around $1,000, which was huge. And then the next year we we did a couple I did a couple more charities. Last year uh, was Home of the Helpless, and this uh, and last year we raised twenty five hundred dollars. Right, and bear in mind that's donations at a gaming convention. Not only that, our attendance was one hundred and twenty people. Yeah, do the math on that. I remember people are also buying other stuff while they're there and paying mm-hmm. for travel and hotel rooms and. Yes. Yeah, and the community is still donating twenty five hundred on top of that. I, I would correct. say it's safe to say that being charitable is kind of an important cultural note for the Buddha community and also a point of pride. Very much so. So I am fully clothing myself as the um, uh, leader of the guilt police every year. So <laughs> I choose two different charities every year. Uh, or one or two different charities every year. And I do try to out, outdo myself, although I don't, I don't think I can actually top the home for the helpless. That was sort of my pinnacle. Anyways, um, there are several events that I run at Fear the Charity, and one has been a raffle where I raffle off some pretty nice things. One year was an iPad. Um, there were, like, gaming packs, that sort of thing. And I also run some sort of game. Uh, last year it was an overnight dungeon crawl, which was very successful. Um, this year it's the dungeon crawl is going to happen slots five through six. So, mm-hmm. And it's going to be on the stage. The money is going either to Little Red Door, which is a cancer charity here in Indiana. And they help pay for all the, like, the treatment, the transportation, wigs, all the expenses that go along with uh, cancer treatment. And the second charity is the Ferguson Public Library, which is run by a booter. And they kept their door open during the um, riots as a safe place for people to hang out. So we wanted to throw some support to them as well. Yeah. And Scott Bonner, who's the head of the Ferguson Public Library and the only full-time librarian on staff, he has won all sorts of awards for turning the library in this, I'm going to say, disturbed community. A lot of tension, a lot of anger, a lot of uncertainty, turning that into a safe place for everyone in the community to come together. They've gotten a ton of support, and Scott is exactly the kind of guy you would expect to do that. Um, yeah, I've met him. He's just, he's an amazing guy and I don't have enough nice things to say about him. He's a very humble, understated kind of guy. Oh yeah. I may have met him once, but you know, when I go to fear the con, I, I apologize if I meet people and I don't remember, I am just so scattered throughout the entire convention, um, that sometimes people's faces, like I lose people's faces. Well, you go in with a bit more of an agenda than most of us do. So that's understandable. Yep. But this is very important to me. This is the thing that I look forward to every year because it's something that I feel is making a difference. And it's some, it's a way for us to show, um, our participation in the community. So I appreciate everything that the booters and the congoers have given over the years, and I'm looking forward to topping our last year's take. So, yeah. So do you want me to continue on? Oh, yeah. It looks like you've got a bit more going on this year than you usually do. So you want to dig into some of the details? Yeah, I do, actually. Before two days ago, I was planning on doing a canned food drive. Um, uh, That is still going to happen. So if you're going to the convention, please bring... Uh, non-perishable canned box goods, um, like toiletries, that sort of thing. And please, please, please check the expiration date 
on your on your donations um, because uh, having done several of these, it, a lot of people miss that stuff may be uh, out of date. And I'm just one person, and I can't really check everything. So if you could please do that ahead of time, I would really appreciate it. Um, I'm also taking over from Manaya, who ran Fear the Fruit. So I will be picking up the fruit ahead of time. Yeah, let's talk about Fear the Fruit for just a second. Absolutely. So if you've not been to Fear the Con, but you've been to other conventions, you know that eating well at a convention is uh, hard to do. Basically impossible, really. Let's not Pretty mince much. words. Yeah, the, yeah. I Good food is that. expensive. Going out to eat is expensive and takes you away from the convention. Bringing your own food in is kind of a hassle. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to do. And you get dehydrated. You're drinking soda all the time or coffee to try and stay awake. It's not pleasant. So what Manaya, who's a Fear the Boot forum goer and con goer, did a couple years ago is start bringing in fresh fruit. And she was taking donations to bring in fruit so that anybody at the convention could just get up, go over to a side table, pick up a fresh piece of fruit, and eat it. I think she actually took it over from another booter. Yeah, she did. Uh, I don't know who started it, but it was a brilliant idea. Yeah. Um, And any excess fruit is given to a shelter. When I went to Fear the Con 5, and that was obviously a few years ago, there were two or three tables of crates of fresh fruit. Yeah, it was the same at 7 last year. It's Mm -hmm. fantastic. You're staying hydrated and refreshed. You're eating well, so you're not feeling sick. And it just keeps you going because... Abusing your body while you're at the convention. Yeah, there's there's nothing like starting that first game slot off with a couple of bananas to get you going in the oh, morning. Seriously, I did oh, yeah. that after the um, all night dungeon crawl last year. I was thanking them for all the fresh fruit that was there. Fear the fruit this year. Uh, Manaya, for personal reasons, is having to back out of doing that. And Derek, you're taking over, obviously. Yes, she is actually going on to some really exciting things personally. So I wish her the best for that. Yes. She was like, "Well, it may not happen this year." I was like, "No, no, 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 no. Just stop that thought." So yes, I am taking that over. Uh, I have most of the accounts and and such transitioned over to myself at this point. But yes, it will happen, and I will be picking up the fruit and distributing it and then taking it to the shelter after the convention. Like we said, Derek does a lot. (laughs) Um, Speaking of which, I am actually going to have to cancel the... um, I was running one game outside of the dungeon crawl. I'm -hmm. actually going to have to cancel that game. So whoever was signed up for it, I do apologize. But um, there is a lot that's going on, as you will hear very shortly. All right. So let's talk about the things that are going on. Okay. There is going to be an alternate reality game component to this this year. Um, I don't have all of the details yet for that, but it will be the booters versus the villains of Fear the Boot. So it'll be Baron Von Badass. It'll be Shell Silverstein. Yeah, all the memes that have grown up over years of podcasting are now duking it out. There will be an alternate... Uh, reality game. Um, as soon as I get the details, I will post those out there, but it will happen. There are several events that are happening. Like I said, the raffle is going to be occurring between, and the drawing will be between slots five and six. It's $10 per ticket. And the prizes are one set of leather-bound D&D 3.5 core rule books. So that's the player's handbook, the D, uh, DMG, and the monster manual a set of ceramic dice, a leather dice bag with a dragon head, and a journal with um, blank pages, pocket pages, something I found on Etsy. So that will go to one person. Wow. That is a nice bit of loot. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. It was something that was like, yeah, if if this is going to be the last year, and that's what's guiding this whole thing is that if this is going to be the last year where I can do this for a while, this is my mic drop. I'm trying to pull out all the stops for this. Throughout the convention, through slot five, you can take a pot shot at Baron Von Badass. So for $5 a round, you can take a turn to hurt him and defend against his attack. So I will have a pre-printed hero 
um, and you'll go against Baron Von Badass. Uh, it'll be Pathfinder rules. And if you survive the round, you get a separate ticket. If you are the one that takes him down, you get an additional five tickets. Nice. These tickets are for a separate drawing, uh, again, between slots five and six, and it will get the D&D remake white box. So it's that special Ooh. edition, red with a big ampersand in there and all that. Yeah. Well, that'll be nice. Those are the original rules, right? The original white box rules, yep. Yeah. It has, like, dice and a whole bunch of other stuff along with it. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah, that's really exciting. As always, all the money goes to the charities. I don't take any back. Um, all of the stuff is donated uh, by me, so I just all the money goes to the, to the charities. Um, and this year, you can designate which charity it goes to. So, if you want it to go to Little Red Door, you can choose that one. If you want to go to the Ferguson Public Library, you can do that. Or if you want to split it, you can also do that as well. Is the uh, the default just an even split? Even split is default. Okay. Okay. What else, if anything? Oh, yeah, the dungeon crawl. All right. I have six victims, Beth Roper, Josh Demery, Donald Martyr, Josh Martyr, and Adam Gottfried. Um, wait a minute, that's five. Why do I have five? One, two, three, four. Okay, I must be missing somebody. They are all collecting donations, like sponsorships, to help their characters along. So the original concept is it's a dungeon crawl, so it's room by room, open door, smash face. However, I've added the component of like a Hunger Games component to it, so people can help or hinder the players. So before the con, um, you can like buy these packages of helpful items like potions and wands and so forth and hand them to the player at a certain time. You can also hinder them um, like, for instance, you can give them cursed items. Uh, before the convention, it's $50 per cursed item. At the convention, it's $100. If you ask your company for, uh, let's see here, the thing is uh, $250. If your company donates that, you can force one of the players to wear a bandana with the company's logo on it throughout the entire uh, dungeon crawl. And nice. you have to display it. Two other unique things here are um, one I'm calling this player is a shill. Um, for $50, you between slots five and six, you can force someone to speak a short phrase or an advertisement, uh, and it must be fr family friendly. And then there is a deck of many bids. So each player, you start off with $10, and that player has to draw a card out of the deck of many things. But for every, uh, then as a bidding process, someone else can say, no, I want them to draw two cards, so I'll put 15 in. Someone else can say, no, I want them to draw three, so I'll put 20, and so on and so forth. The way to work this out is to get uh, together as a group and then say, I want them to draw like 15 cards. And for those that aren't familiar with the joys and tragedies that is a deck of many things, it is a an artifact from D&D uh, that carried over into Pathfinder, and it could either be really good or really bad for the player. And so at the start of slot six, I will force them to take however many draws they have, and then they have to survive uh, slot six based on that. If they survive, then they get $50. Uh, if they die, then they can put $5 in, and resurrect themselves. So definitely when you come in to the convention, check it out. I will also be videoing the um, dungeon crawl because I want to ha uh, edit the video package and hand it to Paizo at Gen Con because I want to run it at Gen Con and hopefully they can grease some wheels so that I can uh, run a charity dungeon crawl at Gen Con. It does seem like the kind of thing that Paizo would be receptive to. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would hope so. But I wanted to be like, okay, here's overwhelming evidence. Um, okay, now talk to the Gen Con people so that Joe Schmo, who hasn't really any ends with them, can do this. Fair enough. Now, let me ask you, do the people playing in this dungeon crawl have their charities picked out? 
it is just these two charities. So they, if they donate five, they can be like, okay, I want this to go to Ferguson, or I want okay. this to go. So to they're not Oregon. picking their own individual ones that they're playing. No, for. okay, no, gotcha. I'm with you now. Anything else that you have going on? No. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I'm positive. If you've left something off the list, we would understand. <laughs> yeah, n- no. Um, there is just a lot of um, a lot of things that can happen at the convention. Like during the dungeon crawl, if people want to change people's characters, they can do it midstream. Uh, even if it's in the middle of a round, they can swap characters out for people. They can do a lot of messed up things to these players. So definitely bring some money with you. And it'll be a good time to see these guys in pain and suffering. Pain and suffering for a good cause, and it's self-inflicted. Yes, it is. And it's definitely voluntary, and I do appreciate them doing this. Yeah, because it eats up two slots for these guys. And that's two games they could be playing in, and now they're playing in one for other people. Exactly. It is. All right. So speaking of games, Derek. Since you're on here, and because you have run a lot of convention games, I mean a lot, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about running a good game at a convention like Fear the Con, and hopefully like other conventions. What would you say is the number one thing that goes into running a good con game? To keep it light, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but I would say it's very difficult to run a horror or a suspenseful game at a convention partly because the people are meet, probably meeting for the first time they don't know the characters very well now if you're talking dread uh, that's a good system to do a con horror game but for the most part i would say keeping it like keeping prepared uh, making sure that that you fully understand the storyline that you're trying to run and the characters that are running in it because the players are going to be like well what can i do what do you what does this character do how how does this character play yeah i think simple characters that are easy to understand no matter how complicated the system or familiar with them like ripping off like scooby-doo is a common one that Mm -hmm. um the one that you uh one of you mentioned before was um ripping off of um soul caliber characters yeah, that was a game that you ran for me at Fear the Con 5 and was excellent. Basically, we just sat down with Soul Calibur characters who are naturally extremely simple caricatures with one or two interesting things, and we pretty much just ran with it. I think we may have rolled dice like a dozen times tops. Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> one of those was me pocketing a knife at the dinner table. I mean, that was it. Yeah. yeah. Just crazy, simple stuff like that to give people an idea of what that game was, because this is a game I may just steal from here. Derek ran basically a Soul Calibur cast in anger management therapy together game, and it was marvelous. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Run using quags, and it was basically sit down and yell at each other for three hours. Or in my case, hiss, because I was playing Voldu, who doesn't speak and just makes hissing noises and waves knives around weird acrobatics and stuff like that and yes and somehow we made it work yeah and that's the thing that surprises me is that for people who are coming into these characters for the first time it just works Mm -hmm. it's really fun um when people get it but again the most successful ones are the ones that are on a comedic bent yeah because you know you're there you want to have fun i played in a very good horror game it was a dread game at Fear the Con 5. The reason it worked was, first, the horror game was in the third slot, so last slot of the day. People are tired already, so... We're tired. Energy is down, which is good for horror, mm-hmm. because we're not having to just be on, on, on. It's things start naturally slow, and then it ramps up and ramps up and ramps up, and then it's down and ramps up, and then it's down. So it, it worked. But it's also Dread. I mean, Dread... Hats off to the people that built that system. And I met, I met them at Origins. Um, nice. They they created a mechanic. Well, they didn't create the mechanic, but, I mean, they chose a mechanic that one would never have thought of in a million years, and it just works for this type of game. Yeah, it's excellent. We've talked about Dread plenty of times on the show. But the point is, something like that works where a 
very crunchy kind of horror game. No. It, it doesn't have quite the same impact. I think it, you can still get into it, but it's not the same as sitting around at a table, you know, at home, really getting into the depths of it. There's distractions, there's noise, there's, hey, let's take a break and, you know, go get lunch, we'll come back to finish the game. Role-Playing Public Radio, another RPG podcast out there, they do a lot of actual plays. They do their best to record Call of Cthulhu games mm. at conventions, mm-hmm. and they do a really good job with them. And right at the end, there's those moments of tension that you want, but through most of the game, even they struggle to make it work, and they know what they're doing. Yeah, and I, I played um, Call of Cthulhu at conventions, and that is... That is a horror genre um, system like Dread is, but those games tend to take a lighter bent for Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Even at conventions. So you, you really, it's difficult to get into the deep horror for that. One other thing that I would add before we move along, if you are going to run something that's a little more complex, run it in the beginning of the day because people are going to be oh, yeah. fresher in the morning or around noon. Um, and while having people be a little bit run down may be good for mood purposes for horror, it's not so good for learning new mechanics. Uh, the ideal time to do this at Fear the Con is slot two because people will have arrived. Uh, some people arrive after slot one. Um, and then, of course, Worldwide Wing Night. So people are a little bit late to arriving during the day on gaming. So slot two is actually probably the best time to do that sort of thing. Yeah, slot five, people are going to be tired from a day of gaming already. and Yeah, I mean, they will game all night on Friday, so... You know, then Saturday, it's, it's a little messier, but people will make it work. Um, probably the best game I had of Fear the Con 5, no offense, Derek, mm-hmm. was um, slot five game, kind of running a little bit late on Saturday, right before the last slot, when everybody's really worn, run down. That fifth slot game was just the best role-playing I've ever had. That was with uh, Steve Dragura and um, Jeb Brack from Postcards from the Dungeon. It was a fiasco game. Just oh. perfect role-playing. Best role-playing I think I've ever done in a game. We were all on. So it can happen, but people are really going to be sharpest in that slot one, slot two time frame. Agreed, yes. And let's talk about people. <laughs> because the So what do you think about people? People are weird, man. Now, um... <laughs> Particularly gamers. Gamers are especially weird. Yeah, yeah, we are. That's actually what I want to talk about, though, because when you're running a game at Fear the Con, you've got to be prepared. I'm not going to talk about problem players or anything like that. I'm going to speak a little more generally. You need to be prepared for a much wider variety of people than you might have in your game. you got to be prepared for people who are expert gamers, people who have never touched dice before in their lives, people who are dragged here with a boyfriend or girlfriend Mm -hmm. or spouse who have no idea what's going on people who are really excited about it and have never gamed before people who thought this was a completely different game and they're in the wrong slot you know but they're like eh, well i'll just play it anyway what are we doing people who are introverts people who are extroverts you're gonna have a wide variety of people here's the weird thing though about fear the con I, i know that we say you know it's it's special it's unique and I've been to uh, many different conventions, both large and small, little like local conventions in like Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Oklahoma, Texas, California. Uh, I've been to Origins, uh, Gen Con. So I've seen pretty much the gamut of people at conventions. You will find the most game people here at Fear the Con. So Take what you see at Fear the Con with a grain of salt if you head out to other conventions. You won't see as many personality issues at Fear the Con, and people are willing to learn and are game with trying out whatever storyline you're you're trying to uh, push. Yeah, there is an explicit compact of everybody who's there basically saying yeah we're all here to have fun and try new games and interesting things and i think con planner and talking games out on the forums ahead of time and that sort of thing all contribute to that true but everybody's there to say you know what i'm gonna try this and have fun not oh well let's see what this is this is the best i could get Well, and in addition to being charitable the community also 
really prides itself on being open and friendly and welcoming yeah. to new people. So there's that an undercurrent of that that goes throughout the entire convention. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if we could frame this as like other conventions, because I think that's going to be more, it's going to be obviously more prevalent. And the circumstances will be a little less ideal. Yeah. So when you're at a smaller convention, there are a few distractions, maybe a few more vendors than Fear the Con, maybe like one or two guest people, but you may run into more, um, more of the stereotypical gamer at those conventions. And as a GM, it's a matter of how do I manage the socially awkward person? Mm-hmm. And not have that person ruin everybody else's fun at the table. So if you've got like a a rules lawyer, you just have to be, you have to pay very close attention to to the rules. And typically they won't speak up if the players mess up. But um, you have to, as a GM, you have to know the system pretty, you have to know the system well. At larger conventions, and we talk about this every year on our podcast, you can't have your feelings hurt if people don't show to your game. There are a lot of distractions at conventions like Gen Con. Anything that's a culture con, people can get sucked into other stuff. Absolutely. So you may have a full table, and this has happened multiple times to me. No one shows up to your game. Now, I will lay a lot of the blame on this at the doorstep of Gen Con, who allows people to use tickets for your game for other people's games. So Mm -hmm. they don't have to go through the process of returning the ticket and getting generics to go to the other game. I'm not a huge fan of that because I've seen no-shows happen more often now because of that. But you just can't get your feelings hurt. If people don't show, then there are a thousand and one things to go distract yourself with. Go do that. If you do get a table together... Surprisingly, I've had less personality issues at larger conventions. People are pretty similar to how they are at Fear the Con, where they're willing to game and learn things. Um, So if you do get a table together, it's usually a very good time. Obviously, there are some differences in play in conventions versus home games because you have a very limited amount of time. you got to get everything done in this one period of time. And that period of time is shorter than the slot actually says it is. Mm-hmm. because you're going to need to take a break in the middle of it. Yes. And you're going to need a few minutes at the start of the session to get everybody situated. You're going to need to explain the rules. You're going to need to explain characters, answer questions, get people going. And so there's you got to build some buffers in. One of the best pieces of advice I've heard for running games at conventions is to make them modular, have bits to take out if your game is run a little slow and have bits to put into the game if it seems to be going very quickly. So you fill up the whole slot and keep people engaged so that they don't feel like they've wasted their time, but you also actually get to the conclusion of your game and your story within that period of time. Now, it is worth pointing out that your players, if they're at all good, will try and wrap things up as the slots end approaches. True. People have an idea of what time it is and what the general flow of the story is but if you're in the middle of a very crunchy combat when the slot ends you're going to frustrate people that's where you don't show the players your enemy's character sheet and you start subtracting their uh, hp oh yeah yeah and even if you're not usually a fan of that sort of thing when you're operating under the time pressure of a four-hour slot you kind of got to start fudging stuff at some point or you're just going to wind up. It's going to be like, it's not even going to be ending the episode on a cliffhanger. It's going to be like when you're halfway through the movie and the power dies. Yeah, it's not good. By the same token, if your game is really, really short, people are going to be left feeling like they didn't really get what they wanted out of that session. And I have played in... Uh, Yes and no. I'm going to push back on that a little bit. uh, I'm going to... Push back I, on that too. Okay, in the in the one game that I was in, <laughs> okay, <laughs> we were done in an hour, less than an hour and a half. Okay. Yeah, but I remember playing a game of In a Wicked Age at a little tiny convention up in uh, somewhere in Wisconsin. I forget whether it was Madison or Milwaukee. It was years ago, and it only ran for maybe an hour and a half. But that was a seriously intense hour and a half. 
And we actually had enough time left in the slot afterwards where uh, we tried to go around again and we just couldn't get the lightning back in the bottle. But that hour and a half was quality. Um, I think everybody was really yeah. satisfied with it. So I think right, well, that's I, I agree with uh, Peter on that. I think that quality is a lot bigger deal than quantity. So if you have an hour and a half where everybody is to the wall, they are really into their character, um, they're really feeling the storyline, and everything ends... That was a good session. Um, and, you know, I've I've been that insecure GM where it's been like two hours. And I'm like, oh, geez, I have nothing left. Uh, I have nothing else planned. What am I going to do? I've totally wasted two hours of these guys' time. And everybody's been like, that was a good game. I don't mind ending early. I can go get food. I can go mm-hmm. see something else. That's fine. And as, as a note, um, specifically for Fear the Con, if you wind up wrapping up early... First of all, you're probably not going to be the only one because everybody else is gaming too. People tend to just kind of wander around. They'll pull out, you know, card games or something, and they'll just sit down and play something like that for a little bit. Or come take a shot at Baron Palm Badass and don't. There you go. It's a perfect time to do the Fear the Charity stuff. Or get food. I mean, the food at Fear the Con is very uh, inexpensive and good. You know, I know we kind of sped past this, but we should come back around and talk about this a little bit because this is kind of something unique and cool to Fear the Con as well. So we have basically identified that Fear the Con is the magical unicorn of conventions. It it really is, but (laughs) specificity is good. So just like everything else at the con, uh, from the vendor to the charity to the um, organization, somebody in the community provides food. Is is Stacy back this year? Do you know? I think she is. Don't quote me on that. But from what I understand from the communications is that everything is going to be as it was last okay, year. Okay, cool. So there's a, a community member who goes by Stacy on the forums. Um, I believe that's her actual first name. And she and assorted other people that she gets to help her runs the kitchen at the convention. Uh, you can do a slot in the kitchen. Uh, those tend to fill up quickly, or at least in the years past you could, for discounts on food and stuff like that. Everything is made fresh. Uh, it's very reasonably priced compared to standard convention food. And they'll make interesting stuff like a grilled cheese sandwich with a brat sliced in half and put in the middle. Oh, yeah, that. (laughs) (laughs) Which I was not brave enough to get last year, but I think I might try this year if it's available again. So the food at Fear the Con is like just about everything else at Fear the Con, something kind of special. Yeah. Here's something I'm curious about your guys' thoughts on this. A lot of people have been going on about, you know, Fear the Con and how special it is and that sort of thing lately. Do you think that comes about from having the Kickstarter and having to literally pay for the con? Or do you think it's because it's going to be the last one in a while? Or do you think it's a combination of the two? I think it's neither. Yeah, I don't think it's Um, either one. I've been saying that about Fear the Con since I made it to three back in the day. Yeah, I talk up Fear the Con five all the time and about how awesome it is. Okay. The fact that the Kickstarter is going is making it more public. Mm. Right. Because we're having to all kind of collectively advertise for, hey, this is an awesome convention rather than kind of assuming it'll happen on its own. We're actually having to put some effort into making it happen. Mm. That's why I think it's showing up more. We're talking about it rather loudly this year. But the fact that it is a good convention is not a feature of the Kickstarter or a consequence of this being the last year. It's always been good. It's always had this sense of community and fellowship that really appeals to us and we've almost taken it for granted in the past. And I think this year we're not. And perhaps that is a result of the Kickstarter and the fact that it's not going to happen next year and may change in format. Some Mm -hmm. going forward, if it happens at all, those may be driving the conversation a bit, but not the fact that we're saying good things about it. Yeah. I mean, some of my favorite memories from fear the con happened at breakfast. Yeah. Back at the Drury, not even at the convention center. I was just sitting down with other members of the Booter community who I don't get to see normally and just sharing a meal with them. So The Drury has been very good to us. Yes, fantastic hotel. I remember when it was back 
across the street. It's a hotel that's across the street. And, and I was like, oh, man, somebody died in here. I know that somebody <laughs> got killed in this I hotel. I heard horror stories about that other hotel. Yeah. I, I actually rented a room at that place before I actually saw what it was like. And then I went to the manager and said, I'm checking out now and I'm going to Hampton across the parking lot. Because <laughs> I was like, I am going to catch the disease in this room. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw a Shagath in the corners of yes. that large common room. But that was also a really good story. I mean, they had like this really creepy like amusement park furniture out in the courtyard. And, you know, but those are those are the stories you get with going to these smaller conventions. So, I mean... Yeah, it's a little bit creepy, but I mean, you have these unique experiences. Right. And everybody has it, which yeah. is part of the fun. Absolutely. All right. So let's get back to con games real quick, because there's a couple of things that I do want to touch on before we wrap that up. Absolutely. We've talked about people. We've talked about play. Let's talk about preparation for it. And we've touched on this a bit throughout this episode. Okay. You've got to be prepared for your game. This is not one of those things where you can sit down and wing it, even in a very loose game like the soul caliber anger management game you ran derek mm -hmm. where i saw your notes and it was literally just a timetable for <laughs> like all right breakfast and then group therapy and then lunch and then a little bit of free time and that was just going to happen in a cycle mm -hmm. that was one sheet of prep and that's fine but you had characters all generated you understood the rules very well you okay. had a clear yes. scenario laid out and it was a very simple, small set of pieces, but everything had been done ahead of time, and you understood these important details need to be done ahead of time. As far as the notes are concerned, um, like, yes, you have to have your characters all ready to go before, I'd say like a couple of days before the convention starts, so you can actually review them um, and right. understand And sooner if you're going to play test your game yeah. if it's a specific scenario. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And understanding the mechanics uh, is a no-brainer. As far as the notes are concerned, uh, you can blame Josh and, and Don and all that crew that's here. Um, because even at a convention game, you can start down a real railroady path, and then your players take the truck and ram your choo-choo off the, off the track. So oh, yeah. I like to have bullet point notes. Um, of important events that are occurring. But beyond that, I'd like to let the players guide where they want to go. But if you have people that are new to the game or new to role-playing in, in general, you need to be more railroad to guide them along. I think railroading in a convention game, at least up front, is okay. Yeah. Uh, we talk about gaming momentum and story momentum occasionally on this show. You want a game to... And you want your characters to have momentum when they start up, right? When you start a game, you want characters headed in a direction, and things that happen in a game will change how they're headed and what they're doing and all that sort of thing. When you have three or four hours to run an entire game, you've got to have everybody going right from the get-go and everybody headed in pretty much the same direction or, you know, directly at each other if it's that kind of game, however you want to do it. But you need to get a strong sense of an action from the, the setup of the game. A lot of that comes with prep. You can't just kind of go, well, um, there's a guy, I guess, you know, it's a tavern. Oh, there's, yeah, no, that, that'll no, kill none of that. momentum. Yeah. yeah. You, you need to say, all right, here is the scenario, and go start playing. Mm -hmm. To get back to the fiasco game... We did a great job with that in that particular fiasco game at Fear the Con 5 with the postcards guys because we started the the uh, this fiasco session with a screaming argument between my character and Jeb's character. It immediately gets the energy going at the table. You know, we're yelling at each other. I think I was standing up pointing my finger at him within 30 seconds of the game starting, cursing at each other. You know, yeah, you do this. Ah, oh, you do this. You never let me blah, 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 blah. And we're talking about this one particular thing. So now all of a sudden that thing is important. And the next guy whose turn it is, he's talking about it. And so we immediately get it going from there. And Fiasco is a very loose, make it up as you go system. You did the same sort of thing in the Soul Calibur game. It's all right, here's the scenario. You spent probably three minutes laying out everything. And then, all right, you're all gathered around. Let's, you know, let's talk about your feelings. 
Yeah, and, and the system really drives that because I didn't have to describe mechanics. Uh, right. Because there really is like one mechanic in Quags. Those rules light systems are really good for conventions because of that, because you don't have to spend 15 minutes describing, okay, this is what a base attack bonus is. This is what strength, dex, constitution, this is how you cast magic. These are what your skills are and that sort of thing. You don't have to worry about all of that. Mm -hmm. That way you can do what you just said. You know, you're running down a road being chased by police. Start action. <laughs> yeah. One last bit of advice, if you are running a gimmicky game that's, you know, some particular pop culture reference throughout it, make sure that comes up a lot and make sure that it's really clear and really obvious. Don't be subtle. <laughs> no. Uh, let me give you an example on that. The um, 70s superhero uh, games mm -hmm. that I've been running last year, and I was going to run again this year, but very gimmicky superheroes. So someone flies and he casts like bright, glittery lightning at people. Um, another person is super strong, but they're all very out there personalities. Right. That's easy to play for a player that does not know uh, what that character is about. They're playing the stereotype. And more to the point, people have signed up for your game to get that particular experience. Mm -hmm. Give it to them. Yeah. If I'm signing up for a Soul Calibur game, I want to have those Soul Calibur characters up front. Mm -hmm. We want to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about souls and calibers. Come on. Yes. Uh, you don't want to be an hour into the game before Scooby-Doo shows up in your Scooby-Doo game. Oh, yeah. No, no. Don't hide the, the lead in that one. Just If you think you're butchering the gimmick, then you're doing it just about enough. This is actually something I'm struggling with in the prep. I, I have an idea for a game, and honestly, it's mostly a pun that I'm trying to figure out how to turn into a game. I've talked a lot about inspectors mm -hmm. as a system. I think it's fantastic, and it's, I think, very good for cons because it's roll a couple of D6s and, hey, you're good. But I have in my head this inspector's gadget idea for a game, and what I've started to realize is that it's a very formulaic show, and I'm concerned that there isn't more than 30 minutes of content in that idea. So I'm trying to figure out how to present all of the Inspector Gadget elements in such a way that it's satisfying for everyone, but is more than, let's run through the formula real quick, and we're done. Broaden it out, because what is Inspector Gadget but a parody of like detective shows? Yeah, well, and, and all the movies, right? It's right. the Pink Panther and you know, Get Smart. All of those movies and TV shows lampooning the James Bond idea. Exactly. So if you take the characters out of the Inspector Gadget show and put them into, I wouldn't say this, but like an Austin Powers type of environment, Mm -hmm. you immediately lengthen the storyline from 30 minutes to two hours or more. The thing about Inspector Gadget is you need the villain, you need the the mal malfunctioning gadgets, mm -hmm. Penny, the dog, all those elements, but the wider story can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, and probably should be more satisfying than a children's daytime cartoon. Yeah. Claw can be in the ubiquitous volcanic island with all the different traps and stuff like that. Um, you can have Inspector Gadget and Penny captured and have them have to find their way out of the intricately, overly complex death trap or whatever. Yeah, there's all sorts of things we can do with that, but it can't be, let's run through a plot of an episode and call it done. Oh, no, no, no. Peter, you got any... Suggestions? You've been kind of quiet on no, this one. Sorry. I, uh, I have yet to run a con game. and So what are you running after the con? <laughs> Don't think I'm running anything this year. If if it comes back, I may try and run something at nine, but yeah. That's fair. All right. Well, we've been going a little while. Derek, thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank you for having me oh, on. It was great this. having you. I really oh, appreciate yeah. it. And real quick, where can people go for information about Fear the Charity? Uh, www.fearthecharity.org. Okay. And The Established Facts? www.theestablishedfacts.com. Okay. And I will also link the uh, 
Indiegogo campaign in the show notes. Uh, you can also find more information about uh, that and other stuff that I'm, I'm working on at uh, www.pelagain, that's P-A-L-E-G-A-I-N press.com. All right. Very good. Any last words for anybody listening? Come to Fear the Con. Yes, please. <laughs> We'd love to see you there. Yeah, and that's the big thing. I'm really excited about meeting listeners in person and reconnecting with that booter community and our own listener community. So I I am super excited about it. I've already got my time requested at work and you know, we're working on hotel reservations and I I'm I'm hyped. Yeah, me too. me too. And just remember, it will not cost you a dime to walk through the door. So figure out how much you'd normally spend on a con ticket and give it all to fear the charity. That's true. <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. Oh, our pleasure. Thank you. Take it easy, folks. All right. See ya. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.